0: If you're visiting with us, my name is Ron Kuhl, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. And I want to start this morning by asking you to think about conversations you've had and ask you if you've ever heard anybody say something like this. Not probably exactly these words, but somebody who's saying this sort of thing. He ruined my life. After we raised three kids together, he leaves us and marries some hussy only two years older than our oldest daughter. Sick. He ruined my life. Or this. They treated me like dirt. I have 20 years of my life to that company, and, and that's what, this is what I get. A meeting with the boss who talks to me about downsizing and an escort back to my desk and to pack up my things like I'm a criminal who can't be trusted and, and a four-week severance check. Unbelievable. After all I've done for them for 20 years, this is what they do. Or this. Everybody says nice things about my dad, but they don't know what he's really like. Uh, On the outside, we had to have this perfect family, but when no one was around, he was always yelling, screaming. He only spent time with us when people were watching. It makes me sick when, when people tell me how great he is. Did you, ever, did you ever hear anything like that? I, I mean, all of us have, right? I at mean, I mean, one time or another, we've had people come to us and, and talk about hurts that they've experienced, struggles that they've experienced. It, it might be something that happened a week ago. It might be something that happened a year ago. It might be something that happened 10 years ago. But they come to us and they tell us about this event, this deep hurt, this time that somebody did something to them that was unfair and wrong. And sometimes it's followed by something like this. But I'm done with that now. I'm glad it's over. I don't need to deal with her anymore. I don't need to deal with him anymore. I don't need to deal with that company anymore. It's over and I've moved on. And the one thing we're sure about, as someone is telling us that it's over and they've moved on, is that it's not over and they haven't moved on. They are still right there. They're still being eaten up by bitterness. You know people like that. You maybe have somebody who comes to mind already, right? Somebody who who in your acquaintance, maybe in your family, maybe in your neighborhood, but who is still being defined. 20 years ago, somebody did them wrong. 20 years ago, somebody did something nasty to them, and that's still how they define themselves. It's still who they are because that person ruined my life. That person did this to me, and they're holding on to it, and they're being eaten up by a bitterness that they cannot let go of. You know, we can talk about others that way, but, but let's be honest, most of us can understand that. The, the fact is, as much as we hate those hurts, sometimes it can be really hard to let them go. There's something fun about holding on to those things. There's something, there's something that makes us feel powerful, that defines us. Frederick Buechner, a Christian writer, wrote these words once about anger. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. And I, 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 this is just fascinating, because he's so right. He says, to lick your wounds... To smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor. It's like a meal, right? To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways it is a feast fit for a king. You know how you have those sores in your mouth and your tongue keeps going back to it? That's the way it is often with those hurts, right? We keep going back to them. We go over them and about when we're going to get even and about how we're going to take care of things and about how we're going to make that person hurt and about what we're going to do. And and, and we just chew on these things over and over and over again. Beekner goes on. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself and the skeleton at the feast is you. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what I want to think with you about, about, about people for whom they, they cannot let go of those things. And, and, and they're chewing on it, and it's chewing them up. They think they're eating it, but it is eating them up, and it can happen. We're doing this in the context of a series that we're calling I Have a Friend Who. Um, because we here at Hillside are made up of perfect people who have no problems, we decided we'd preach about other people. And so you have some friends who maybe have problems. And, and, and so you might know somebody who has a kind of an issue like this, who's being eaten up by bitterness. And maybe somewhere in your past you can remember a little something that maybe you also need to kind of deal with. But, but I have a friend. I have a friend who's struggling with this, and and I do want to kind of put it in that context. I have a friend who's being eaten up by bitterness, and and what I want to think about is, is what do we do with that? What do we do with a friend, and maybe what do we do with ourselves as well? Now, I'm going to suggest four things that the Bible would call us to do in this kind of a setting, in this kind of a situation. And the first one, if you've been with us the first two weeks of this series, you might be able to guess this. And if you can't, then you've been sleeping much too much. But the first one is the same one, and it's going to be the same one. Friends, we need to listen. Okay, the first thing we need to do when people are hurting is we need to just be quiet and listen and, and, and pay attention. I think it's so important, especially on this issue, because I think when we get to this, when somebody's talking to us about a hurt that they've experienced, it's so tempting for us to say, well, yeah, well, let me tell you what somebody did to me. And all of a sudden we jump in with our story. Or, well, you know what, that's overreaction. You shouldn't have reacted that way. You shouldn't feel so hurt. And we explain that away. Or, or, or we say, well, you know what, you just got to forgive them. You just got to do that, and we jump in, and friends, again, people won't know how much we people won't care how much we know until they know how much we care, and the first step is listening, James 1, verse 19, I printed this off and gave them to all of our staff members, so hopefully they'll all be better now, um, but James 1, verse 19 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone, everyone in Christ should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And again, this is so essential. We have got to slow ourselves down and listen to people. And again, it is amazing to me how often when I'm in these kind of conversations and on this really difficult, important issue of forgiveness and so on and bitterness, it's amazing to me how often people know what they need to do. People know where they need to go. What they need is help getting there. What they need is strength, and I establish that bond. I establish that community by, first of all, listening, okay? And so if you have a friend who's in that situation, listen, 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 and then listen some more, okay? The second thing, and, and, and this is going to sound, the next two things are going to sound a little bit odd before we get back on track, but I think this is important. I think this is what the Bible shows us about how we deal with being hurt. And, and, and the second thing I want to suggest we need to do is, is we have to affirm to others that we do get hurt, and it's often unfairly. In other words, if somebody comes to me with this again, one of the first things I want to do is to say, wow, that hurts. Wow, that must be terrible. That's difficult. It's unfair when that happens. Now, a couple of things I want to say about this. First of all, I'm not saying that everyone is a victim all the time, okay? I, I know our culture overdoes that, and nobody takes any responsibility and so on. You know what? But we can overreact to that. The fact is people do get hurt. There are a lot of people who get hurt a lot. And, and, and we don't get to decide how much they should feel it what we do is get to love them and help them experience God's grace, okay? So I know, I'm not saying, oh, everybody's just a victim all the time, and we don't hold, no, we hold people accountable. We hold ourselves accountable. We'll get there. But I think we start by establishing that relationship of, of just affirming that there's hurt. And, and 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 I think, again, part of the reason I want to just say, just affirm it and recognize it, is that we are in a culture where we don't like to talk about hurt. And, and what we want to do is when when somebody gets hurt, we want to take the hurt away, right? And we just want to make them feel better. And usually we want to make them feel better right now, okay? We want to make them feel better right now. But I am convinced that what the Bible shows us about getting beyond the hurts that we've been experienced, that we have experienced, what the Bible shows us is that first, we and those who've been hurt need to own it. We need to experience. We need to feel it. We need to taste it. You know, I I think what we do is we we, we get into a pattern. And you think about with kids, right? What do you do when your three-year-old skins his knee? Give him a piece of candy, right? Get behind, you, you. distract them. You give them something so that they that they can you don't have to think about it anymore. You try you, you try to take away the hurt. You try to do that. It works when the kids are three and four, five, maybe six. But at a certain place, you know what? To say, "Oh, I, I'm sorry that you're hurting. Can I take you to a movie?" I'm sorry. That, you know, you no. Know, <laughs> the fact is, the only way that we experience healing is to first of all feel the hurt. And and I think the biblical model of dealing with hurt is first of all just to taste it. I I think that there's just some of it, and and if we don't do that, we'll never be able to let it go. We'll never be able to get to the place where we can experience the healing. Look at some of these psalms. There are a whole bunch of these in the psalms. Uh, Psalm 13, 1 and 2 talks about just the struggle and the hurt, and the psalmist just pours it out. How long, Lord? God, I feel like you've abandoned me this time. God, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Sometimes I think, again, we as, as Christians and, 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 you know, kind of I want to say, well, look, if we're Christians, then everything is good, okay? And if we're Christians, we can just trust God and everything is fine. That's not what the Psalms show us. The sh- Psalms show us that we live in a broken world and sometimes people do nasty stuff to us and sometimes it just hurts. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? I think this person is depressed. That's... I, I, how long will my enemy triumph over me? And Psalm 13 just basically starts and says, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm hurting, and it's okay to say that. Psalm 59, verses 3 and 4. This is, a, this is somebody who, who's innocent. They, they haven't done anything wrong. See how they lie and wait for me? Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. The fact is, none of us are perfect, but there are situations where we are innocent. There are situations where we haven't done anything wrong and somebody else has. In Psalm 59 is written in that situation. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. Go on John to verses 6 and 7. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths again. Sticks and stones can only break my bones, but your words can break my heart. See what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp, sharp as swords, and they think, who can hear us? This is somebody who's just really hurting. And again, what he does is he just lays it out there. And this next one, Psalm 55, again, I mean, there are so many situations. This is somebody who was betrayed by a close friend. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it, right? I mean, if you were somebody who was an enemy, I could endure it. If a foe were rising up against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers, we sat in a small group together. And I poured out my heart, and you knew my deepest secrets, and this is what you do to me. I cannot believe this. I mean, again, you think of a marriage or whatever. I mean, this is, in Psalm 55, you know, it just pours it out and says, God, I can't handle this. This is just so much. It hurts so much. And I think the only way for us to get beyond the hurt is to First of all, feel the hurt. And, and that's not just psychobabble. That's what the scriptures are full of, that sense of saying, you know what, God, I just have to, I have to own it. I can't deny it. I have to own it. And so that's the first thing we do. We listen, and then we affirm that we get hurt, often unfairly. The, the next thing, the third thing that I want to talk about is, is probably the most important for you to make sure you listen to the whole thing I say here, okay? But I want to suggest that not only do we help people know and own their hurt, But we actually help them hate. We help them to hate. Now, again, I want to be very careful here. Hate is very powerful, okay? And we can get stuck in hate. So I don't want anybody to get stuck there. But the fact is, I believe that if we look at the Bible again, we were created by God to hate some things. We were created by God with a capacity to hate that which destroys others. We were created by God to hate that when somebody does damage to somebody else, even to ourselves. And again, I think if we're going to experience full healing, we also, in order to get there, it's like cutting a cancer out all the way. That not only do we hurt, but we also hate. God hates, look at Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, right? Look at this, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. God hates some things. Haughty eyes. Somebody who looks down their nose at somebody else. A proud person who damages community. A lying tongue damages community. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. These are the things the Lord hates. A false witness who pours out lies. Lying makes it twice and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Do you see that? I mean, God hates these things because God created us to live in community. God created us to live in relationships. And when we hurt each other, when we do damage to each other, God doesn't just get hurt, but God hates it because he hates that action. He hates that sin. He hates that, that damage that's done to each other. Listen to Jesus in Luke 17. Jesus, who was absolutely full of love, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. But Jesus says, don't mess with one of the little ones. Luke 17, 1 and 2. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. Jesus says, you make a little one stumble, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. I read somebody this week saying, Jesus sounds a little bit like a mafia down here, right? We're going to give you cement shoes, right? I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about. I mean, he's, he's saying, you know what? If you do damage to, and it's either a little child or somebody who's a little in the faith, who's a new Christian, a new believer, a, a new follower. Jesus hates it when we do damage. Guess what? Jesus hates child abuse, right? Jesus hates that kind of, there are some things we ought to hate. Jesus hates detest injustice. He hates, um, you know, double standards. And The Proverbs are full. Again, I don't want to live there. Again, we must be really careful. Hate is powerful, but I, I really believe that that when we have these hard things to forgive, when we have these difficult things to forgive, what we need to do is first of all go to that to, to just drinking all the hurt, and then and then hating what's wrong, because that's that's what God does. We do that, and then we come to the next thing. We help them hate, and again. This is where we can't stop. And, and, and this is where we become very specifically Christian. This is where the miracle happens, okay? Because the fourth thing that we want to do is want to invite that person, and maybe it's ourselves, to experience the healing that comes from forgiving others. You see, a good secular therapist can do those first things I talked about, right? Any good secular therapist, non-Christian, can, can listen to you and, and can help you feel the hurt and can help you hate But it's only in Christ that we find true healing. It's only in Christ that we're able to say, now I can let it go. Because he teaches us and he shows us how to forgive. And I am convinced that forgiveness is the absolute key to dealing with our hurts. And this is one of the most important gifts we have to offer to this world. Is to say it doesn't need to go on. The fact is denial will never take away that hurt denial will never take it away you can bury it deep but it will become like a toxic acid like a toxic waste that just goes throughout your life you've seen people for whom that's the case they're telling you oh i'm over it it doesn't affect me anymore but it's still there and they've never gotten rid of it because they've denied it vengeance getting even doesn't take away the hurt i mean i can hurt you maybe just as much as you hurt me then we got two hurting people but guess what me hurting you never makes my hurt go away It never takes away my pain. The only thing that does is forgiveness. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Paul writes these words. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Paul, how do we do that? How do I get rid of my rage? How do I get rid of my malice? Forgiving each other. Letting go of those things. Forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. I am absolutely convinced that it is forgiveness that is the most important part of this whole process. It's, it's letting go of those things. And, and forgiveness is at the core of how Jesus calls us to live. Walter Wanger wrote a great book about marriage. I read it years ago, actually before I was married, called As for Me and My House. And I read through the table of contents, and um, one of the chapters was, The most important act of marriage, something like that. And I assumed it was about sex. You know, I mean, I was kind of eager to get to that chapter. So I turned to that chapter, and it's about forgiveness. And I tell you, 28 years later, he's exactly right. The most important act of marriage is forgiveness. The most important act in every family is forgiveness because it's only forgiveness that can bring us back together and it's only forgiveness that can heal the bitterness and the rage and the malice that so often hurts us. I want to real quickly finish by saying five things about, about forgiving just so that we know this as we're thinking about it ourselves and dealing with others. First of all, forgiving is not easy. Okay? Excusing is easy. If I can understand why you did this, you got caught in a traffic jam for you are a half hour late, I excuse you. Okay? That's easy. I can understand that. But forgiving is is when I don't understand, when what you did was just totally wrong, and totally unfair, and it cost God his son. If there were an easier way to forgive than for Jesus to die on the cross, he, he would have done it, friends. It cost God his life, and it costs us our lives as we forgive others, okay? So forgiveness is not easy. If you're struggling with it, or if your friend is struggling with it, it's not easy. God is gracious with us, okay? Okay? God is gracious with us, and he gives us the strength to keep working at it. Second thing, forgiveness is a process. Forgiving others is a process. You know, God can forgive in an instant. I can't, and neither can you. Most of the time, we got to chip away at it. Lou Meads in his book, great book, Forgive and Forget, it says that what we do is we forgive and then in forgiving we chip away a little bit at the hurt but it's still there and we forgive again and we chip away a little bit and we forgive again and so you keep doing it over and over and over again. I'll have people say to me, Ron, you know what? I, I can't forgive this person because I just, I've tried. i tried. I've tried and I've tried and I tried and i can not I so you know what? You just keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep recognizing God's amazing grace for you and then you try to keep letting it go to them. But you keep at it. It's a process. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on it. You can experience the grace of forgiving others, the joy, the healing that comes from forgiving others. The third thing I want to say is is that forgiveness is something we do, and it's something that God does. And and I know I'm, I'm not just thinking about God forgiving us, but what I'm thinking about here is that God calls us and commands us to forgive. But I really believe we can only forgive others by God's help. And it's by God's grace. Again, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's not just that Jesus gives us the pattern, that God gives us the pattern of how we forgive completely and, and unconditionally and by dying to ourselves. But I think he also is saying here, it's, it's not only in the pattern of Jesus, but by the power of Jesus. The only way, that I can really let go of that pain. The only way I can not get even, the way that I can forgive, is through the power of Jesus Christ that I know from his forgiveness for me. All right? So forgiving is something we do. I'm called to do it. I work at it, but only by God's grace and by God's strength. It's something that God does as well. At the heart of it, what forgiving is is letting go. What forgiving is, if I'm going to give you a definition of it, It's, it's, it's letting go. It's letting go primarily of my right to get even right? The fact is, we do have a right. There, there's justice in this world, and, and this is one of the things, again, sometimes we as Christians say, well, you just forgive them. It's unfair, but you do it. Well, yeah. but you know, what we got to say, first of all, is you do deserve to whack them back. That person whacked you. That person was unfair to you. That guy walked out on you. That person did this to you. Your uncle abused you, and you have every right to abuse them back. You have every right. That is justice, an eye for an eye. And we want so much to do that. The problem is it doesn't give us healing. And what we do when we forgive is we let that go. And I, and I say this, it's, it is for me one of the most holy moments to be present with people as they work on this and as they do this. And, and I've experienced some amazing miracles of walking with people through forgiveness. But what we do is we take that Right? to make that other person hurt as much as we hurt, to do to them what they did to us. We have that right. And what we do in forgiveness is with trembling hands, we just pour it out on the ground. And we say, I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. And we let it go. We let it go. And say, the hurt's going to stop. I'm not going to go after it again. And when we do that, (laughs) forgiveness is opening a door. It's opening a door first for us. (laughs) Smead says, and I think he's exactly right, when when we open up the door of forgiveness and let somebody out of prison, the first person who walks out of prison is us. We start to experience a freedom. We start to experience that sense of saying, I have my life back. I don't have to be defined by this hurt. I don't have to be defined by what this person did to me. And we start to experience that kind of freedom. We start to experience that kind of healing ourselves. And so we open the door to that, but we also do open the door to the other person. I want to say just a, a little bit about that. Because sometimes people say, well, if I forgive them, does that mean I have to just get back into that same relationship? And I want to say no. When we forgive, we open a door. A, 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 but we start back at zero, right? When when we break trust, we start back here. And and whether we ever get to where we are again, I, I don't know. Whether we get to where we were again, I, th- that in a broken world, we don't always get there. But I want to say, I mean, I was talking to somebody who who just trying to love and forgive between services, trying to love and forgive a, a, a relative who's struggling with alcohol. I said, how do I do that? I said, well, you know, I don't think you're being called to forgive and, and, and then pretend there's not a problem. They're still struggling, okay? And, and so, yeah, you open up the door. You keep loving. You keep, you keep opening that door to them. But it's not walking all the way through it just as far as you can immediately. And so it's Okay? It's okay to take it time to, to let that be restored. So that friend who's being eaten up by bitterness, listen, help him to own the hurt. Help him to hate. And then invite him to do a miracle. The miracle of forgiveness. Of all the things the Bible calls us to do, And I think about it with your parents who've had kids baptized. Of all the things you had to teach your kids to do. Again, you start with be kind and nice and and see if you can teach them to share. Um, But, you know, I tell you, maybe the most important, the most difficult is forgiveness. Forgiveness might be the most difficult and the most important thing we are called to do. I believe that this is at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. Is to learn to be people who forgive others. And so I want to invite you to invite your friends and maybe yourself this week to experience the gift of being forgiven, of tasting of God's grace, and then of learning to forgive others. Let's pray together. Father, we get hurt. People do things, say things they shouldn't do. And Lord, it sometimes feels like we're stuck with this forever. Lord, help us to be honest about those things, but then teach us the amazing gift of forgiveness Father, of letting go, of experiencing your grace. Father, thank you for your amazing grace for us. Remind us of what it was that you did for us so that we can do that to others, so that they can be free, but, Lord, so we can be free too. So, Lord, we just uh, pray that you'll teach us to love and help us to help our friends love too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen you please stand to receive God's parting word of uh, blessing? So again, following our service, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room there to that side of the auditorium. If you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, there will be some folks there to, to meet with you. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we live in God's grace and share that grace with others. Amen.